morning. So we're doing a thing. We're doing a series called uh, Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. And there's 12 minor prophets, and we're on number four. So uh, we, we've, uh, we've done Hosea, and we had Billy Joel, uh, and we had Amos, and now uh, we're doing Obadiah. So you can turn uh, in your Bibles to Obadiah. But what we've been doing is uh, we've been watching the Bible Project video as kind of an overview of the book, and then highlighting some key verses or chapters uh, uh, on, on that book. So uh, but I'm not going to highlight some key verses. Today, we are going to read the whole book of Obadiah. So buckle up. Don't, wor- don't worry, it's one chapter. So <laughs> 21 verses. So that, I was really excited when Dan's like, okay, you're going to do Obadiah. I was like, yeah, so short. Woo-hoo. And then I read Obadiah. I'm like, what does this mean? How does this relate? Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So I, I kind of stepped back a little bit. And you can throw that um, next slide on the screen. See how, oh, it's nice and big. Um, this has been really helpful for me. I, when I was like, what is, where do I start with Obadiah? I went to this. It's called the Seven Arrow, Arrows of Bible Reading. And it's a little bit condensed in your outline, but that's basically the outline in your notes today that we're going to kind of walk through. And the first arrow, see the little circle, is just kind of summarizing what does the passage say? What does Obadiah say? So we're going to use the Bible Project video to kind of get an overview of what Obadiah says. But we also, there's an arrow looking back. We want to look back at what did it mean for the original audience. There's kind of two major audiences. Uh, There's Israel and Edom that we're going to see today. Uh, We're really going to camp at that up arrow and down arrow. What is this saying about God? What can we learn about God? What can we learn about man and us? And then we're going to get into some application See that golden forward arrow? What is this passage demanding of us? And we have the arrows on both sides. How does it it change how we relate to each other? And then we got that little up arrow. Uh, How does it prompt us to pray? So as Daryl mentioned, there's a lot of needs in our church uh, that we need to be praying about. There's a lot of things going on in the country that we need to be praying about. So I would really encourage you, uh, we are spending some time tonight at 6 p.m. at the church for some guided prayer um, and with everything going on, it'd be great if, if you can make it. Uh, we're going to do that uh, tonight. So a tiny bit of background. I don't want to take a lot from the video, uh, but Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. Um, really, it's, uh, we don't know much about Obadiah, just the name, and it was a common name. But scholars do believe that it was written uh, after 586 B.C., after the Babylonians uh, conquered uh, Israel, and before Edom was also invaded by the Babylonians. So you'll see in the video that when the Babylonians invaded Israel, Edom didn't really help. In fact, they took advantage of the situation. So as we watch the video, just pay attention to the relationship between the Israelites and Edom, because that's going to go back to Jacob and Esau. Take a look, pay attention to the map uh, of kind of where they're related to each other. And there is a quiz this week. Dan says he always wants to give a quiz because your first couple fill-in-the-blanks are based on the video. So see if you can uh, fill them in. What does Obadiah say? Near the end of the video, they kind of give a summary, so get ready for that. So let's take a look at Obadiah. 
The book of the prophet Obadiah. This is the shortest book in the whole Old Testament. It's a mere 21 verses. And at first glance, it does not look very promising. It's a series of divine judgment poems against the ancient people of Edom, which was a nation that neighbored Israel on the other side of the Dead Sea. However, there is way, way more going on here. So first, here's the backstory. The people of Edom were unique because they had a shared ancestry with the Israelites. They both belonged to the family of Abraham who, with Sarah, had their son Isaac, who, with his wife Rebekah, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, the book of Genesis told us the story of these two brothers, and to say the very least, they had a tense relationship. They each later received the names Israel and Edom, which eventually became the name of the families that descended from them. And these families replayed the same difficult relationship of their ancestors. Israel and Edom had enormous tensions throughout the centuries, but they still shared that family bond. And it's that bond that was betrayed and shattered in the tragic events of Jerusalem's fall to Babylon. So when Israel was invaded and conquered by Babylon, the people of Edom took advantage by plundering other Israelite cities and then capturing and even killing Israelite refugees. Now in other prophetic books, God held Israel's neighbors accountable for this kind of violence. And so here, Obadiah does the same for Edom. The short book has two halves. The first part is a series of accusations against the leaders of Edom, specifically for their pride and self-exaltation. Literally, as they lived up high in the desert rocks, but also metaphorically, they truly believed they were superior to the Israelites. And it's that pride that led the Edomites to not just stand idly by when Babylon came to destroy Jerusalem, but actually to participate in the destruction. And so God says through Obadiah that Edom will be brought down from their height and destroyed. As they have done to Israel, so it will be done to them. Now right when you think you're going to hear more about how Edom will meet its doom, the topic suddenly shifts in verse 15. We hear this, the day of the Lord is near against all nations. Now why do we all of a sudden shift from Edom now to all nations? This first is a hinge piece and it links the first half of the book to the second half where Obadiah announces the day of the Lord but not only for Edom, he widens his focus to include all nations. And Obadiah says that all prideful nations that act like Edom will face God's justice in the same way. They'll fall from their prideful heights and come to ruin. Now the combination of these two sections, one about Edom, the other about all nations, shows us why Obadiah was so interested in this tiny southern neighbor of Israel. Obadiah sees Edom's pride and fall as an example, an image, of how God will one day confront the pride of all nations and bring about their fall too. It's hardly coincidental that in Hebrew, the word Edom, or Edom, is spelled with the exact same letters as the word humanity, or in Hebrew, Adam. In Obadiah, Edom's rise and fall is a parable of how God's justice will one day oppose pride and violence among all nations in the day of the Lord. But as in all the prophets, God's judgment is never his final word. Specifically, remember the conclusion of the two books that came right before Obadiah, Joel and Amos. Joel had painted a picture of what will happen after the day of the Lord against all nations. He said that God would perform a new act of salvation in Jerusalem and that all who humbled themselves and called upon him would be delivered. And in the conclusion of Amos, he said that after the day of the Lord has judged Israel's evil, God would raise up the house of David and build a new kingdom for Israel that would include Edom and all the nations called by my name. 
And so the book of Obadiah has been placed right after Joel and then Amos to expand on these very promises about the hope of God's kingdom over all of the nations. And so the book concludes with a very hopeful future. God says he's going to restore his kingdom over the new Jerusalem, that he'll repopulate it with a faithful remnant. And then from there, God's kingdom will expand to include all the territory and nations around Israel. And so this little book contributes to the larger portrait of God's justice and faithfulness that we're seeing in the prophets. The ancient pride and betrayal of the people of Edom becomes an example of the greater human condition, all of the ways that we betray and hurt each other in God's good world. But there's hope, Obadiah says. Edom's downfall points to the day when God will deal with evil in our world, but also bring his healing kingdom of peace over all the nations. And that's what the book of Obadiah is all about. We can go home. <laughs> Not yet. We gotta dive a little deeper. Alright, so did you get your uh, blanks? Did you find them? Great. So kind of what we saw in that video, the first arrow, what does Obadiah say? Uh, well, we know that the Edomites, which is most of the chapter is gonna be about, were relatives to the twelve tribes to Israel. There's that family drama between Jacob and Esau that we, we know from Genesis, right? We saw he was holding the stew, the stew right? You remember that story? Uh, Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of stew. And then later, Jacob tricks his father Isaac into getting what Esau had left, the blessing. Um, and so these brothers, they, they are able to figure out like an uh, amicable relationship later, but there's tension between both of their uh, descendants, and they're the, also the closest neighbor to the Israelites, too. So, uh, and, and, and we see that they uh, were part of the invading force when Babylon came in. So, this angered the Lord because Israel was God's chosen people, and Obadiah prophesied that Edom would be repaid for mistreating God's people, and, and that's what we're seeing here. So, you should have got in your notes from uh, what does Obadiah say that Edom's pride is an example of the human condition. So this is this. It's about pride today. It's pretty clear what it's about today. It's about pride. So if we if there's pride that you need to deal with, the Lord's gonna speak to you hopefully today. That's my my prayer for you and me. And Edom's downfall points to the coming of God's kingdom over all nations. Uh, so that gives us the overview, but. Let's dive in a little bit more uh, with Obadiah 1.1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise up against her for battle. So the second arrow, uh, what does Obadiah mean to its original audience? We're going to see that this is a prophecy about Edom's destruction, but also about uh, Israel being restored. So you can put in your notes there, this is going to be restoration for Israel and uh, retribution for Edom, justice for Edom. Uh, basically, retribution is you get what you deserve, what goes around uh, comes around. So just as in verse 1 we saw that basically God's saying, hey, the nations are going to rise up against you, Edom, because Edom rose up with the nations, with Babylon, to invade Israel. So the same thing is going to happen to them. All right, so Obadiah 1-2. Let's go to verse 2. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. 
The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So again, we're going to kind of camp at that third and fourth arrow, what it says about God, what it says about us. Um, verse 3, pride is deceptive. That's on the, on the man's side. Pride deceives us, and we see that God humbles. He said, I will make you small among the nations. I will bring you down. So here's, you know, the ESV study Bible says the Edomites, if you saw on the map, they were kind of in the southeast. They're about 5,000 feet above sea level living in the mountains. And they're, they kind of believe their location was in, inaccessible and that had, gave them security that they were invulnerable. So normally that'd be, you know, a rhetorical question. Who will bring them down? God says, I will bring you down. Because we know God opposes the proud and arrogant. So, and we saw from the video, they were physically high, but they also felt like they were better. And the Lord, and they say, no one can bring us down. And God says, I will bring you down. Um, so I was like, okay, passage is about pride and humility. I was trying to think of times, I'm sure we've all had times in our life where we've been humbled, and I'm like, I just can't get this illustration out of my head from a, a little over a year ago, so I had to use it. We, uh, we went to a um, toddler birthday party at Altitude, which is like the trampoline park over in Elyria, and uh, as for three-year-olds, it was, it was last year, and we were just worried, like, either a parent's going to get hurt or one of these toddlers is going to get hurt as they're jumping around because they have all these big trampolines. And uh, one of the moms decided to see if she st could still do a front flip. And she could. See, she still could do the front flip. Uh, but her husband was like, oh, yeah, well, I can do a front flip, too. And the husband jumps, and the ankles kind of go, and he breaks one of his ankles. Anyone know who I'm talking about? Cam Bailey. And we had to put up with him riding around on a scooter for a couple months, which was fun. And, I, and they're not here today. I called him last night. I'm like, I'm going to use your illustration of, you know, pride comes before the fall. God humbles, right? But I've had plenty of times in my life being humbled. And I just, there's nothing more humbling sometimes than an injury or sports-related injury. Uh, or when you get all the papers notarized for a youth group and then the cooler drowns it all and you have to tell everybody all the documents are destroyed. So there are times when God humbles us. Um, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians. We just did this series because there was some division and pride in Corinth, and this is what Paul says to them, uh, 26 through 31. He says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being, or so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And it's really simple today, but really this is the main point today. And the lesson from Edom, from this prophecy, is that we need to humble ourselves. 
No one can boast in the presence of God. That is a true statement. And God uses us how we are. That's the kind of the encouraging thing from 1 Corinthians. You don't have to be the smartest or the wisest or the strongest. And I think there's two ways uh, that we can struggle with this. One, it could be that you do struggle with pride and maybe just taking credit for things in your life that we need to give credit to God. That's really easy to do as an American in America where we have so much, whether it's our, our job or our finances or our personal accomplishments or our kids' accomplishments. It's really easy to have pride, like, that's my kid. Well, um, but verse 3 says, pride, the pride of your heart will deceive you. Pride gives us this false sense of security. Uh, the Edomites had this false sense of security um, that we're in control. When in reality, all of those things that I just listed could change tomorrow. That's why it's so important as Christ followers that we have an attitude of humility and thankfulness to God. However, I think some of us could, and I've struggled on the other side of this, is having a lack of like self-esteem or a lack of self-worth, thinking, what, you know, what can I bring to the table or how can God use me? Maybe you have brought yourself down, you have humbled yourself, but that's kind of false humility. That's not healthy and that's not what God wants for you either. So the point is that God has given us each special gifts and talents, but they come from him and we work through his strength on our own, which is kind of what we're saying today, not I, but Christ through me. So if we are to properly boast in 1 Corinthians, it says to boast in who? The Lord. The Lord. Because he is the source of all our abilities, all our provision, all our wisdom, all our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, without whom we could do nothing and without whom we would have nothing. So the question for you and for me today is a heart check today because we're learning these lessons from the prophets. Um, and from this minor prophet, Obadiah, is just what's the attitude of your heart today? Is it one of pride or even false humility and self-attack? Or is it one of humility? And that's kind of what we're going to do at the end of today is just give any pridefulness to God and humble ourselves. But let's look at verse 5 in Obadiah. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, talking about Edom, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau, remember that's another name for Edom, uh, how Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. This is the past tense, but it's talking about the future when Edom will be destroyed. That's what the prophecy is. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat bread with you, your allies, have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. So probably their allies, talking about Probably in history, we know that, okay, Babylon took over Israel, and they kind of allied with them. Well, your allies that you ate bread with are going to now attack you. Verse 8, will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman. Taman is the grandson of Esau, so another name for Edom. So that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. All right, what do we learn from God? What do we learn about us here? We know that not only does pride deceive us, but left unchecked, that attitude that we don't need God, that we can do it ourselves, that attitude will lead to our destruction. Pride leads to destruction. And any pride that we have, 
anything we can do or uh, God can overcome. God overcomes. Because really, we're going against God, and we see from the Bible anything that they thought they could build or learn or accomplish, going against God is kind of foolishness because God will easily defeat or overcome, which is what he did to Edom. So this is a warning to those who choose not to follow Christ. Pride, selfish, sinfulness, it does lead to death, destruction, and separation from God. So encouraging. Uh, we're Just like kind of the last few weeks, the theme of these prophecies, it's going to get darker and darker and darker, but there will be hope. So bear with me. Verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, another name for Israel, Jacob and Esau, shame shall come over you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, the brother, Israelites, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them, like one of the invaders. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. God is giving judgment to the Edomites here. God judges. We know this. And for us, for humanity, there will be a day of judgment. Um, I was reading a devotion uh, when I was putting this together. And basically it was saying, it, it could be really easy to be like, okay, well, we're God's people, like, like the Israelites. Like he's attacking the enemies of God. We could, we could easily see this as, uh, you know, today people attack our faith. Well, they're going to get what they deserve. But, but I think um, it's not just a warning for those against God. I think there's an element of that, but that also can be a warning for believers that we shouldn't be too quick to exalt ourselves and become just like Edom. So as Christ followers, we're called to live differently. That's why God was upset with the Edomites, because they were supposed to respond differently when Israel was invaded. We need to put down our prideful arrogance, our stubborn ways, and act in Christ-like humility. We need to rebuke those temptations of pride and selfishness. All celebration at the expense of someone else's misfortune is wrong. Uh, to do so is to place ourselves over them. And again, going back to 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that love does not boast, it is not proud, it keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. This is how we love others, with grace and mercy and forgiveness. Because if we cannot forgive, we can't forgive other people if we boast over their hurts, or we cannot extend grace when we're busy celebrating over the, their misfortune. So not only is the question just what is the attitude of your heart, humility or pride, question is, what is the attitude of your heart towards others? Is it a boasting and pride, holding on to grudges? Do you delight in anyone's misfortune? Could be friend or just someone you don't like. That's a heart check. Or is, or is it one of humility, where you are celebrating other people's blessings and helping them through their struggles? All right, verse 13. God says, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So God is kind of defending his people. Hey, don't do this to my people. God protects his people. That's another point there in your notes. So God humbles, God judges, God 
protects his people. Um, and we see that no deed goes unpunished. Uh, so verse uh, 15, wait, did I get to verse 15? No, I didn't. That's, so that's the hinge verse that was in the video. So after all those do nots, it says in verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your head, own head. So no deed goes unpunished and God protects. So pride is deceptive. Pride leads to destruction, but it also does not go unpunished. You sow what you reap. So this is a, obviously this is a theme in the Bible. It says, uh, do not judge or you will be judged. If you can't forgive other people's sins, the Father won't forgive your sins. Jesus says, if you deny me, I will deny you before the Father. So we see in Obadiah's vision that God is protecting his people. He tells them eight things not to do. He says not to gloat twice, uh, not to rejoice over their ruin, not to boast over distress. He says not to enter their gate because they entered to take advantage of the situation. Not to, and they stopped others from escaping. They even handed others over to the enemy. This is what they did to their neighbor and their brother. So as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. So uh, there's two interpretations there of the day of the Lord in these prophecies. There's kind of a general one like, oh, you did this. There's going to be like punishment and consequences. But then we also know that there is an ultimate day of the Lord, an ultimate judgment. And I'm going to take you there. Uh, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. This is John writing. Uh, he says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, scary, right? That's kind of the darkest moment here. But I'd like to look at the glass half full. There is a book of life. Amen, right? There's a book of life. So here comes the good part. Stay with me. This is the hinge piece as we, as we go into the end of Obadiah. Let's look at verse 16. It says, For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and it shall be as though they had never been. So this is imagery in the Bible of drinking is like receiving God's wrath or judgment. But, verse 17, but in Mount Zion... There shall be those who, what does it say? Escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau a stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So remember, two parts of this, restoration for Israel, judgment for Edom. But we learn that God provides. And for us, there is deliverance. There's deliverance for God's people. So the good news of Jesus and the New Testament is that it's not just the Israel, Israelites that are God's people. It's all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. We learn that from Romans. The Israelites sinned. That's why they were in this mess, being exiled to Babylon. 
But we see here from the vision from Obadiah that there will be restoration for Israel and retribution for Edom. And it's really just a great metaphor that we have a choice today. Those who humble themselves and acknowledge God, who believe in Jesus and his death and resurrection and have committed their lives to him, will experience restoration. And that those who live pridefully and wickedly and reject God and Jesus will receive retribution, just as verse 15 states, as you have done, it will be done to you. So I kind of asked you, what is the attitude of your heart to yourself and to others? But this is kind of pointing us to, what's the attitude of your heart towards God? Is it humility or pride? Do you want restoration or retribution? I want restoration, <laughs> not retribution. I deserve retribution, but I want restoration. So let's look at restoration in verse 19. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau, and those, uh, there's a lot of names here, the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines, they shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. All right, a lot of people taking over places here. This is Israel regaining their land and all these lands of their neighbors too. So the Canaanites and, and the Edomites, they shall receive that land. God is restoring the promised land. So the last point about God is that God restores and he rules. Uh, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So remember, I, we we're going through the seven arrows uh, and the fifth and sixth arrow are kind of, what does this demand of us? How are we to treat other people. And if you haven't got it yet, I put three things here. We need to humble ourselves. We don't want to be like the Edomites. We, if we're going to boast, we want to boast in, in Christ, right? So, it, we want, yeah, we want to boast in God. And we need to be citizens of the kingdom. So as the body of Christ, we should be focused on God's kingdom. Um, like, I, I'm really grateful to be an American and live in this country and have the freedoms that we do, but I'm excited about God's kingdom. Like, that's our focus. Uh, because we saw at the end of the video, all the prideful nations, and there's pride and sinfulness, even in the USA, like, all those will pass away, and God's kingdom is what will be eternal. So Jesus taught us to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And the primary place where we can see God's kingdom uh, is in our own lives. To live in the kingdom is to keep our eyes upon Jesus and to cultivate a godly response toward others. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're insulted, we respond with peace. In this way, we can live in the kingdom. We participate it, and better yet, we invite others to experience it, which is the lesson of Obadiah. So finally, kind of the seventh arrow what does Obadiah prompt us to pray? Pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what, And you have the invite to do that tonight. Come pray that, that God's kingdom would come. But we're going to do that here in just a minute, too. We're going to kind of respond to this lesson from Obadiah uh, as we do communion. Uh, so I'm going to ask uh, the worship team to come up. And uh, I kind of gave you a few questions for, for you and for me to wrestle with. But really, it just came down to 
uh, where's your heart today? You know, this is just a time to stop and be like, am I being humble or do I have a lot of pride in my life? Uh, how are you, how are, what's your attitude towards your own heart and yourself, but towards other people and especially towards God? Like, are you trying to do it your own way and taking credit and living your own life? Or do you need to say, God, I'm done trying to take control. I want to put you in the proper place. So we're going to take a couple minutes just to pray and, and, and talk with God, whatever you need to, to discuss with him. And if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, uh, you can come up when you're ready to take the elements for communion, and we'll take those together.